If you don't know me, um, my name is Dylan. Uh, if you're watching later online, I think I've met most of you that are here in person. Um, if you can see me, it's a little bit far over the gap. But uh, this morning, we're going to get back into our study through the book of James. And today we're going to be looking through uh, chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. And so if you have your Bibles, um, you can go ahead and open there because there's going to be no verses on the screen this morning. So, um, And to get started, I just want to dive straight into the text. I love doing that. I think personally, one of the most effective things we could probably do is just read this over and over again. But some of you might check out pretty quickly if I just stood up here and did that. So uh, we'll read through it and then we'll dig into it a little bit. Um, I'm also reading from the CSB this morning, so if you have a different translation, a couple words may be uh, swapped around a little bit. Uh, but James 5, starting in verse 7, James writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. So this morning we get to talk about two of our favorite things, patience and suffering. And we get to talk about having patience in suffering. Uh, if you're reading from the ESV, you'll probably notice that this passage is titled Patience and Suffering. And we decided to title our series to the book James, Tested Faith, if you forgot because we haven't been seeing that on the screen the last couple of weeks. We named it Tested Faith. And the main reason we did that was kind of because of the way James starts out his book. He starts out, and there's a common thread throughout the whole thing. Um, if you recall, back in chapter 1, James begins his writing by saying, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. And that thread kind of uh, follows all the way through James. He talks about testing, remaining steadfast, he says, you're going to come up against hard things, but this is what the Lord has said, and this is what he has promised. So stand firm, trust, and walk in it. And so when we titled uh, the series, chapter 5 wasn't necessarily what was in the front of our minds. It was more of um, an overarching idea of James. But I really think that those last two weeks that we have together in James are really the culmination of what that title is. Tested faith. Faith that stands the test, faith that stands firm. Because is there anything that tests our faith more often than patience? Patience is hard, isn't it? That's the one thing people tell you to never pray for. Because if you pray for patience, then God will give you something to be patient about. So we have to have patience with people. We have to have patience when we're sitting in traffic. We have to have patience waiting for our Wi-Fi to load faster. But then there's the patience and the waiting that's, that's really real in the more serious situations. Waiting for a diagnosis, waiting for a dangerous situation, something legitimately dangerous to 
de-escalate and end for you to be able to get out of there. And waiting on a response from God, waiting to hear from him, wondering what his plan is, struggling when there's nothing that we can do. When we, when we have that sense of being completely out of control, it makes us realize how much we really do rely on God because everything is in his control. And we truly, on our own strength, have control over very little. And so James tells us that patience is necessary. He uses the example of a farmer who patiently and in hoping waits for the early rain that will make his seeds start to grow. And then he has to be patient again and hope that more rain is coming so that his crops will grow fully and he can harvest them. The farmer's motivation is that fruitful harvest. And James tells us that our motivation should be that the Lord is coming soon, that we have to be patient, but it won't be long now. And one thing I want to point out uh, and not make sure we don't miss it is James also cautions us about resenting and complaining about one another. How quickly can you turn on someone that's close to you when you're frustrated? When you're in a tense situation, when you're moving a dresser up a flight of stairs, how quickly does the person on the bottom or the top become your enemy in that situation? When really they're probably one of the people that's closest to you. And so here's our reminder that God's coming is imminent. He's just outside the door. He knows what's going on. And so James, James warns us, don't, don't be haughty. Don't sin in your anger. We have to be patient with one another. And then he encourages us to strengthen ourselves as we prepare to wait. Waiting takes an enormous amount of strength. Patience takes an enormous amount of strength. And then he gives us some examples uh, from Scripture. He talks about the prophets, and then he goes in to talk about Job. And I believe he does this for a couple of reasons. I believe he does it to further encourage us by showing us there are other people who have gone before you that have had to be patient, that have had to suffer and wait and trust in God. And the second is these examples of how we can, how we can follow in their footsteps. This is how they did it. And so we've covered the first three verses or so of James. And so um, as we talk, dig into these prophets in Job, I want to read uh, verses 10 and 11 one more time. James says, Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. So James mentions the prophets. He doesn't necessarily specify any out, but that could be a whole another series that we could walk through. You probably know some of the stories. Um, if you know the stories of Isaiah or Jeremiah uh, or Daniel, these are people that we have a great amount of respect for because they went through really hard things. They went through impossible seeming circumstances and they came out on the other side stronger. They were proven that they were right to trust in God and not trust in what the world was saying. And then James goes out and uh, calls Job out specifically. 
And so a lot of us probably know the story of Job, um, but I'm, and it's 42 chapters, so we're not going to have time to read through all of it this morning. But I'm going to give just a brief overview of Job and his story. So scripture tells us that Job is a man of complete integrity. He feared God and turned away from evil. How much better off would we be if we could just get those couple of things right? Job was successful, he was wealthy, and he was prosperous. He had 10 children, he had thousands of animals and livestock, and a large number of servants. And the book of Job states that he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. And he didn't even get that way by ripping people off. He was a man of full integrity. Job is so faithful that God kind of brags on him. Uh, one day there, there's a, I don't know if you'd call it a, a staff meeting or what, before the throne of God. And the adversary um, is there. And God says, have you noticed my servant Job? His integrity, his faithfulness, his trust in me. But the adversary says, well, if you didn't protect him, if you didn't bless him, if you didn't give him all this stuff, then he would curse you. And so God allows uh, the adversary to have control over all of Job's things that he holds dear. And Job loses pretty much everything in an instant. And just a sidebar, this is kind of unrelated, but the beginning of the story makes me think that the enemy may make this request um, about us more often than we might think. Because I'm reminded of Jesus' words to Peter uh, when Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and Peter says, don't worry, I'm going to stick by you even till death. I'm not going anywhere. And Jesus turns to him and he says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Are we thankful that God is our protector? That he's in control and the enemy can't do anything to us that's outside of God's hands? That anything that happens to us, any suffering we go through, God's still in control. And so back to Job. Um, <clears throat> in short, after losing everything, Job does not curse God. The verse in Job literally says, throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. The adversary then challenges that if Job's body was stricken, then Job would curse God. Well, yeah, you can take his stuff, but if you touch his body, if you make him sick, if you make him in pain, then he'll curse you. So then Job's covered in boils, painful yet he still does not curse God. Then Job's friends come along, and uh, with friends like them, who needs actual enemies? They, his friends come along, and they conclude, well, since God is just, then you must have sinned. That's why you're suffering. God is punishing you. But even God touted on Job and talked about Job's integrity. And so Job comes to the conclusion, well, since I haven't done anything wrong, then maybe God isn't just. But both of these points of view are made without having a universal vantage point, which, by the way, none of us has. Their views are made from their human perspective. There are things about God that we can't know or things that we can't fathom. 
His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And that's how God responds at the end of the book. Would you really challenge my justice? I am the maker and the creator. And so throughout all this, Job did question God, but Job never turned away from God. Job never cursed God. And through it, his trust in God was deepened. And he ends up repenting for questioning God. And then at the end of his trial, he's made it through this turmoil and his faith is strengthened on the other side. We love stories about an underdog, don't we? Someone throw out a, a movie. Anything. Say it again. Maverick. I haven't seen that one. So anyway, Rudy. There's Rudy. There's an underdog. There's a good one. So movies like Rudy, any of the Marvel movies, Star Wars movies, I mean, Luke Skywalker has like a week's worth of Jedi training and he goes up against Darth Vader and doesn't get wiped out. We love stories about an underdog. We continue to tell them and watch them over and over again. Even in scripture, stories like David and Goliath. We love when the underdog comes from below and tops this insurmountable challenge. And this is what James is talking about. James says, We count as blessed those who have endured. We look to their examples of suffering and patience. We look at these stories of these underdogs that, that beat the odds and come out on top. And we, we love that. We eat it up. And that's what James is talking about. We look at those who have endured. We see them as blessed And Job said, that, that's a good thing. We can look to those things to be encouraged. But thinking about Job as an example, we often want the blessing that comes on the other side. We see someone who's worked hard and what they've accomplished, and we want to be like them. We want to be the accomplished role model, the winner. Uh, when I was in college, though, during a Bible study, a question came up around a situation like Job's. And we asked each other, would you be willing to suffer now if it meant that in the future someone would be brought to salvation because of your suffering? Whether it's for a moment or for the rest of your life, would you be okay if your part to play in the advancement of God's kingdom was to suffer? And we've been told that there will be trials, there will be tribulation, there will be trouble in this world. But James tells us to strengthen our hearts. The Lord's coming is near. It won't be long now. And so we have to be patient. But he's coming. And he's coming at a time when we least expect it. So we're to be ready. And James even sa says the judge is coming. Which if we didn't know God the way we know him, sounds scary, but we know the judge. We know, as James says, that he is merciful and compassionate. And we know our defense. We know our defender, Jesus, that when that judge comes, we will be free.
And so even though we may have to endure for now, we may have to suffer a bit while we're here, we focus on the fact that he is merciful and compassionate even through all the sufferings that we go through. He is merciful and compassionate and he's coming soon. As I read through that, I was reminded of uh, Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4. So I'm going to read a chunk of the passage uh, that Paul wrote. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And Paul talking about the gospel, the truth of the gospel. We have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus. And present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. And therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary and light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but we focus on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Lord, thank you that your mercy and your compassion we may not always see. Sometimes those are unseen in this world, but those are the things that we look to for our encouragement, for our hope. And so this passage really is a promise. And it's, it's got good news and bad news. It's where the good news and the bad news intersect. That we will have trials, we will suffer, and we will have to wait. And we also have an enemy who's roaming around seeking someone to devour. But praise be to God that he is merciful and compassionate. He protects us and nothing can touch us that's outside of his control. And so even though we struggle, we still trust, which is easier said than done. But he does not leave us in our struggle, in our suffering. He's still there. And everything that we do struggle through here is producing a weight of glory that we will get when we are with him. And then everything that we've gone through here will be worth it. This passage uh, that Paul wrote is even applicable to Job. Job's light 
momentary affliction. Light. That might not be the first word that you or I would generally uh, use to describe Job's sufferings. Losing everything, being stricken with boils for a time. But in relation to being separated from God, totally separated, totally cut off because of sin, his affliction was light. And momentary, we're not sure how long exactly Job suffered for, whether it was weeks or months or even years. And I'm sure that some of the heartache that Job experienced during those afflictions stuck with him for the rest of his life. But even if the suffering lasts a lifetime, which is something that we can't fathom or understand from our human perspective, in relation to an eternity with our Savior, it's but a moment. And so I'm not standing up here with a formula on how to be patient or how to persevere through suffering. Uh, this message isn't going to be titled How to Suffer and Get Over It. I don't, I don't have those answers this morning. But as uh, Jenny and Jeremy uh, come up, the reason I'm up here this morning is to tell you the good news and the bad news. The bad news, as I think we've already pretty well established, is that there's suffering in this world. There's pain. There are attacks from the enemy. There are attacks from people around us. That's some of the bad news. But the good news is better than we could ever have imagined. The good news is that God doesn't abandon us in our suffering, even if it feels like it sometimes. Uh, David wrote in the Psalms that God is near the brokenhearted. He is with us in our suffering. The good news is that there is an end to the suffering. The good news is that God is coming back soon, and as James wrote, he is merciful and compassionate. The good news is that we can spend eternity with him, apart from the pain and the suffering, and instead filled with joy, peace, love, in the presence of our Savior, Jesus. And that is the good news, because of Jesus. Jesus came and underwent the separation from God on the cross, bearing our sins, so that we no longer have to be separated from God. Because the wages of our sin, what we deserve because of our sin, is eternal suffering. But Jesus stepped in and took our place. And we're thankful for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that takes away our sin that makes us clean. And then after three days, his resurrection from the grave promises that we can have new and restored life and that we will be raised in new life with him when he comes. And just the fact, the exciting fact that he is coming back soon. And then we will be with him eternally. No more tears, no more pain, no more sickness, 
no more death. And when we're there, we no longer have to be patient. Because we'll be with the one that we're waiting for. And so I've, I've kind of gone over a lot of scriptures this morning, but I want to close with one more scripture because the Bible talks a lot about suffering and endurance. I think God knew that we would struggle with that. That's one of the biggest struggles in our lives. And so Peter, in 1 Peter 5, writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. So we can sympathize and be there for each other. Because others are suffering as well. And while I don't think we should compare our sufferings to one another, it's, it's a blessing if we're going through suffering, if we can find someone who's gone through something similar and sit with them, talk with them, be with them. And then, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered for a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. So, will you pray with me as we get ready to close? Father God, we are thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus. Thankful for the good news. That means there's an end to our suffering in this world. That gives us hope that we will be eternally with you in a perfect world with no pain, no loss, where we don't have to be patient any longer because we'll be with you, the one that we're waiting for. And Lord, until then, I ask that you give us patience, even though you're not supposed to pray for patience. I ask that you would strengthen us. Lord, that you would give us the strength we need to hold each other up in our sufferings, to endure, and to trust in you, lean on you, even when this world says it doesn't make sense. So Lord, we surrender our hearts to you, we offer our lives to you, we trust you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.